0: Is the U.S. Constitution neutral on abortion or does it prescribe equal protection for the pre-born? And what about criminalizing women for committing abortions? We'll tackle these issues today on The Mark Harrington Show. Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show, is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can donate to our work by going to createdequal.org. Just you know, click on the donate link on, there on the right side on the homepage and send us a gift for the ministry. Uh, we are an organization that stands for uh, taking young people out to college and high school campuses. We use abortion victim photography to kind of set the foundations for the debate. And we can use your support. Also, if you want to program, uh, you know, support the program, you can leave a five star review. And the program is available on all the popular podcasting platforms. Well, today we're going to be talking about the Dobbs v. Jackson case. You might be saying, "Well, Mark, you know, that happened a couple of months ago. That's old news. We need to move on." Well, what's important about Dobbs is that I think a lot of people are missing. That Dobbs didn't go far enough, and we're going to talk about that today. We're all happy that Roe v. Wade is overturned. In fact, I'm joyful. I'm still celebrating a little bit here and there to, you know, because it was a big deal, obviously. We've been working for this day for many, many years, and some of us for decades. But if you look at Dobbs, it doesn't go far enough. And a lot of pro-lifers don't know that. So we want to talk about that today. In order to do that, I have as my guest Alex Snyder and she is the CEO for Life Legal Defense Foundation, the people who keep me out of trouble and we appreciate her being on the program. Thanks for being on the show, Alex.
1: Sure, Mark, thanks for having me.
0: So let's plunge right in here. I, uh, as as is, is normally my case, uh, the case I read your your periodical here, your publication of Life Legal Defense Foundation that you send out in the mail. And on the front page here, you had a, uh, a post, an article entitled, What's Next? The U.S. Constitution Protects the Unborn, the 14th Amendment, and Abortion. And, uh, you know, as we were all processing the Dobbs Jackson case, we understand that when Justice Alito wrote the opinion for the majority, he basically said that abortion, uh, that, that the Constitution is neutral on abortion. It doesn't mention it per se. And the other justices concurred with that. Justice Kavanaugh went as far to say that the Constitution is neither pro-life or pro-choice. And by doing that, they said, "Okay, well, the U.S. Supreme Court has no say on abortion. We're going to send it back to the states. And we're all happy about that, of course, because we got it out of the hands of the U.S. Supreme Court, which is a good thing. But the truth be known, is the Constitution is not silent on abortion, is it?
1: No, um, not uh, really. I mean, the the we have an inherent right to life. I mean, outside of the Constitution, we have an inherent right to life. that is recognized throughout our Constitution. It's recognized in the preamble of the Constitution, which actually refers to the blessings of liberty to our posterity. So it does mm-hmm. um, it does contemplate already people who are not yet born and um, right. And and, I mean, there is an explicit right to life in the Fifth and Fourteenth
0: Amendments. Right. And you go on to say in this in this piece, um, you talk about the history regarding abortion in America and how when the 14th Amendment was drafted and ratified, that it was understood that abortion or that the preborn were citizens or, or, or persons as we understand it. So can you talk about that? Because I think a lot of people miss that part. They say, well, the Constitution doesn't mention it, doesn't mention abortion, doesn't mention the pre-born. So how can the U.S. Constitution protect the preborn?"
1: Well, I mean, there are a lot of types of killing that the Constitution doesn't explicitly address. But again, right. it does um, It does say that we have a right to life. So we'll say, okay, well, you have a right to life except for in vehicular manslaughter cases. You don't have a right to life then because the Constitution is silent on vehicular manslaughter. That would be ridiculous. And it's just as ridiculous right. to say that the Constitution does not now or has never protected the right to life for foreign children. That That is categorically untrue. Every state had laws um, prior to Roe v. Wade, and and going back to a um, couple centuries, prohibiting abortion, and in some cases, um, granting an explicit right to life, right, but a personhood right to um, to the unborn.
0: Alex Snyder is my guest from Life Legal Defense, and uh, we're talking about whether Dobbs v. Jackson went far enough. We understand it sent it back to the state legislatures, and now we're battling state by state to enact prohibitions against abortion and restrict it severely, which is a good thing. I'm happy for that. But the truth of the matter is, the US Constitution does protect the unborn in the Fourth and Fourteenth and Fifth Amendments. And I think that's lost on a lot of pro lifers. Uh, so when Dobbs was handed down, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're like me, we were pleased that that happened. But we know the court didn't go far Absolutely. enough. So what do we want to happen now? Because you're saying that the u s. Constitution does protect the preborn, so the states shouldn't have the right to make laws on abortion. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So um, if you if you take the analogy of slavery, we would not say that we should return slavery to the states. I mean, we've been there already. We fought mm-hmm. a civil war over that. We've had two constitutional amendments dealing specifically right. with that with that issue so we don't mm-hmm. say okay let's see the right result would be to go back and let um, let states decide who who is a human person that's protected under the law and who is not and yet that is exactly what happened with this decision and I want to be careful and critiquing the decision because of course as you said we're we're elated that the Supreme Court has even gotten this far, but I think it's very telling that Justice Alito—and I know why he had to do it. I mean, he was threading the needle right. here. Um, yep. So I, you know, I, I'm not faulting him really in in any way, but what he did was say that there is no right to abortion that can be found under the Fourteenth Amendment. But he didn't go so far as to say there's an actual um, right to life for unborn children or preborn children under the same amendment. And that's what I I would like to see happen.
0: Right. Did Clarence Thomas make that case?
1: Not exactly. I mean, he has in the past, but not exactly in this decision. I mean, his, his whole thing was look, we shouldn't even have these, these um, what are called substantive due process rights at all. Mm -hmm. And, And he's been soundly criticized for that because he said, you know, In in other cases involving gay marriage and and, um, contraception and things like that, those are all rights that were created that were not actually in in the Constitution. And he thinks the Supreme Court should focus on those rights that are explicitly in the Constitution and everything else should be off off limits.
0: The 14th Amendment says this, that no state shall deprive any person. Of life, liberty, or property, without due process of law; process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So we understand Harry Blackman, when he wrote that the majority opinion in Roe, redefined person in that Fifth and Fourteenth Amendment to exclude the unborn. What we're saying is that the U.S. Supreme Court should rule that there is an inherent right to life for the preborn in that amendment. Is that what you're saying?
1: Um, that's certainly what I would like to see happen. Do I think that's possible right now? No, because Justice Kavanaugh has made it clear that he would not support such right. a thing, that he believes that this should be up to people's elected representatives, which I mean, if his concurring opinion had been the majority opinion, this would be devastating because it means that Congress could just pass a law saying abortion is legal at any stage of pregnancy or beyond that's pregnancy. Right. and and that would be that. Um, and that hopefully is that's not what the they want to do. He intended. Yeah. yeah and that's they, what the U.S. Congress they, they, or, the or, or at least the Democrats want to yeah. do. It. Yeah. Yeah. And they they've done it. I mean, thank God for uh, for Joe Manchin, who's who's been able to stop that. But they they've passed the Women's Health, um, the women, uh, the Women's Health Reproduction Act or whatever it is that would codify yeah, women health, abortion. Women,
0: Women's Health Protection Act. Yeah. Well, you know, I've told my friends, uh, we should be careful what we ask for. We wanted Roe overturned. It was overturned, we're happy about that. But now we've got this battle state by state, which is going to, in my opinion, be almost more difficult than possibly what we had in the Roe regime. I'm not saying I'm glad (laughs) we should have stayed in that situation, but we have this patchwork now across the country and it's gonna be difficult. In states like California, for example, and we're fighting an, an amendment possibly in Michigan and we're going to see this happening all across the country. And I'm concerned about our ability to defeat these things. Uh, the quote, one of the quotes from your article here in your, um, in your periodical that you send out, which I thought was very profound, is this. It's incoherent that a living human being would be worthy of protection in one state and treated as nothing more than medical waste in another. I think that is so, so right. In one state, you're going to say, you know, the the unborn are protected. In the next state, they cross over the border, and they're not. Uh, Either they're Um, persons or they're not, right? And they're protected by the Constitution. That's your point.
1: Yeah, I mean, and again, it's not like we've not been here before. We have, as a nation, we have dealt with this issue with slavery. And I know there are people who, um, it's not a one-on-one You know, the analogy isn't perfect, but it is close enough because you're talking about excluding people Mm -hmm. from uh, basic human rights protections, civil rights protections um, for arbitrary because of their arbitrary characteristics. Um, You know what I mean? Obviously, with slavery, it had to do with skin color with abortion. It has to do with size, age of development. I mean, even the fact that a in some states, a 13 or 14, let's say a 14-week old baby would not be protected, yet a 15-year-old 15-week-old baby would be protected. I those are those are so arbitrary and the law cannot be arbitrary. I mean, this is a fundamental concept of the rule of law that it must apply mm-hmm. evenly across the board. It's why we have a 14th amendment. So we don't have these inequalities in the law. And that's exactly what has happened with abortion since 1973 and is continuing now and the the distinctions are just becoming more obvious now.
0: So the way forward, we you know there's a couple options here. You know, as you say, the US Supreme Court isn't going to soon rule that the unborn are persons as we understand it in the fourteenth Fifth and Fourteenth Amendment. We understand that's not going to happen. Uh would you prefer that to happen or would you prefer there be a constitutional amendment that establishes personhood at conception. Which which is the better route to take strategically and legally? Constitution. I mean,
1: I think an amendment is uh, if if you can get an amendment. I think an amendment is is more secure. Um, certainly, aren't you and then tacitly
0: would... admitting that the Constitution is deficient on that subject? You know, that
1: that is a good, that's a good point. That is a good point. But I think, I mean, just like with the 14th Amendment, I don't think we admitted that the Constitution was deficient. We just clarified that this is, in fact, what the Constitution says. I mean, that's what every amendment has done is clarified what the Constitution has said. Now, Supreme Court cases do that, too, but they can be overturned, as we know. So um, I think, again, an amendment is a more secure way to go.
0: My guest is Alex Snyder, and you can go to LifeLegalDefenseFoundation.org where you can read their recent, her recent article on the Dobbs v. Jackson case and how it doesn't go far enough. I think that we all need to understand what the Constitution says about a bo- or, or what it says about the unborn in that it speaks to protecting the unborn and not just returning this issue back to the state legislatures. And it calls for equal protection of the laws, which is a good transition to the next subject I want to bring up, which is kind of this untouchable subject within the pro-life movement. We don't want to talk about this, which I'm saying to people, yes, we do. <laughs> we can't avoid it. The pro-abortion forces are going to make us debate and discuss this, whether we like it or not. We better get our, 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 our ducks in a row on this and be able to present a logical case as to why we believe in equal protection. And when I say that, what I mean is the unborn need equal protection. That means if someone takes their life, whether they're an abortionist or anyone else, the laws have to be applied equally. Yeah. And unfortunately, what we've seen is lots of pro-life laws, in fact, probably all of them, if they ban abortion, they carve out a, a, a you know exception, if you will, for women who might be uh, procuring an abortion. And recently uh, 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 National Right to Life published an open letter basically saying that we, quote unquote, we as the pro-life movement, speaking for everyone, of course, they weren't speaking for me, but we believe that women should never be prosecuted for an abortion. and. I for one didn't sign that letter in fact nobody came to me and asked me to because they know where I stand on this they knew I wouldn't sign it uh you know the the, the letter was very problematic to start with and I kind of want to get into the subject with you because this is something that I feel like we have to address it seems like yeah. we're afraid to we're, we're concerned that this is going to uh pro, you know slow down our the the uh, ability to make progress in state legislatures. I don't believe that myself. So I guess the question I want to pose to you, should women be punished for abortion? I'll just straight out say it. Uh, Do you agree with national right to life that women should never be prosecuted for abortions?
1: I do not agree that women should never be prosecuted. I mean, I think we can talk about what that looks like, what kind of penalties, civil penalties, criminal criminal penalties penalties and a lot of that will depend on um, what the law is concerning um, killing of unborn children in other contexts so mm-hmm. if um, you know if a, if a law considers that a feticide and has um, a, and that's what a lot of a lot of laws have done historically is considered that a feticide and had lesser punishments than let's say for um, uh, killing a child after birth for example. So, but I do not believe that women should categorically be exempt or as that letter um, that you mentioned stated that it is it is not pro-life to say that women should in some cases be um, in some way uh, penalized for, it's not penalized for abortion. We have to remember there are laws that prohibit abortion. So what we're saying is that women should not be penalized for violating the laws. Already in place against abortion. So, and again, going back to the rule of law, it's a basic principle of the rule of law that laws be applied evenly to everyone. Mm-hmm. And right. in this case, you are excluding, in some cases, the only, um, the only perpetrator of that crime, and you're excluding that individual from uh, from penalties under the law.
0: Yeah. And and going back to this open letter by National Right to Life and the thing that I many things I disagreed with. But first of all, it was overly broad. It kind of had this absolutist position that the entire pro-life movement, everybody within it agrees with them that there should never be a prosecution for abortion uh, for women that commit men, uh, commit them. Uh, It didn't take into effect uh, into effect that um, reasonable people can disagree. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I think I'm a reasonable person. Uh, I can disagree and do it without being disagreeable. Uh, it was yeah. like this is the end of the story no more comment goodbye you know and I didn't like that. And it also relied on decades old data uh, this yeah. is a position the pro-life movement has taken historically throughout the decades. I get it I understand it in order to try to get these uh, these le- this legislation legislation passed in state legislatures. I get it pragmatically, but now it's post-Roe. Now things have changed. Isn't it time we go back and review some of this data? Because I think a lot of it's, we're relying on a lot of old information. I think it's time to, to take a second look at this.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the other thing too is, okay, so just even in terms of how people look at their own abortions, and I will admit I am, post-abortive so I and I'm not saying so I don't want to exclude myself and say I've never had an abortion and so I don't know what it would be like or I, I do know what it would be like I wish it had been illegal and I wish those laws had applied to me at that time because I would not have had an abortion it would be much It would have been much more difficult for me to do so so but the the letter does not address a couple of things one is that it refers to women Um, who have had abortions or who are seeking abortions as victims of the pro-life or the pro-abortion movement or victims of Roe, I find that, frankly, really patronizing, like shockingly patronizing and offensive because I, I, even when I was choosing my abortion, I did not consider myself a victim of anything. Um, It was a Mm -hmm. choice that I had made. I was very young. Even at that age, I knew what I was doing. I, I I regretted it very soon afterwards and still to this day profoundly, profoundly regret my my decision. So I, I want to make that clear. But I was not a victim. And I think to to refer to women in that language, I think is taking us back. I mean, way back. Um yeah. and, and Well, I can so tell you this feminists
0: on college campuses, you bring that up and you say that they're victims if they had an abortion, uh, believe me, you're gonna get you're gonna get hammered for that. We, they don't, they don't view themselves that way. Most of them, 99% of them view themselves that way. As you say, it's patronizing. It it puts women as kind of these, you know, feeble, unable to make rational decisions regarding pregnancy and so forth. Uh, It casts them in a negative light. Uh, Everything the feminist movement doesn't want, right? That they are capable of making decisions. And now we have people shouting their abortions who are happy about it, think it's the best thing that ever happened to them. Uh, things have changed. They're not th- what well, they yeah. used to be. And, and yeah. so I think it's it's the wrong messaging. And you, believe me, you will get shouted down at a college campus if you say women are victims. I know yeah. it, I mean, it because it, I it have,
1: have no. Yeah, well, it implies we have no moral agency. I mean, and that's just, and I, I think that's just absurd. I mean, the other thing, even from a spiritual perspective, perspective. If you call somebody a victim, you are saying that they don't need forgiveness. They don't need heal. I mean, well, you could say they need healing, but it's a different kind of healing than the healing Mm -hmm. that people need from abortion. And again, I speak from my own experience um, and the experience of, you know, many, many women. Um, I used to do post-abortion ministry. I used to be the director of the pregnancy center. I did post-abortion ministry, led post-abortion ministry there. And Um, And if you tell women they're victims, they're not going to know that they need forgiveness. They're not going to be able to move on from that decision. And I think that's really damaging.
0: I agree. And the law is a teacher, as we know. Um, When the law says abortion is illegal, if the law says it's homicide, women, some, will see that and say, well, I shouldn't get an abortion now because I believe the law is reflecting morality in some way, right? And if we say the law is a teacher and we say it's murder and then we're not going to prosecute people who perpetrate it, it's kind of like our messaging is way off here. How do you respond to people Mm -hmm. who say, and this is the main argument, it's a pragmatic argument. They say, first of all, Americans aren't ready for this. Uh, The pro-abortion side will use this as a club to beat us over the head. They'll say, you want to throw women in jail Uh, and, and so forth. And we're going to lose the argument, and therefore, we're not going to get these uh, pieces of legislation passed that have equal protection in them. And I think 20 years ago, we could say, well, we want to prosecute the abortionists because 90 percent of all abortions were performed surgically. Right now, uh, and even I think it was in 2003, only five percent of all abortions were chemical abortions. Uh, things have changed a whole lot now. I mean, over yeah, yeah. fifty percent of abortions are done by a uh, uh, pill, right? And a lot of times, the women will order these online. They might get them mailed to them, or they have to go to a uh, pharmacy to pick them up. They'd never meet the abortionist in person. In fact, they they might do it over a Zoom call. Might not even be a doctor. Might not be a medical person with a P, you know, with the with the doctors with a degree. And so now the the abortionist is even cut out of the equation almost entirely. Let me let me read this quote. This is from Clark Forsyth. I respect Clark a whole lot. He's a brilliant mind when it comes to a lot of this stuff. He says this prosecuting women is counterproductive. And this gets to the pragmatism of the thing, to the goal of effective enforcement of the law against abortionists. That may have been the case 20 years ago, but I don't think that's the case today. I appreciate you being on the program, friends. I want you to go to um, Alex's website there at Life Legal Defense, and uh, the website is LifeLegalDefenseFoundation.org, LifeLegalDefenseFoundation.org, and I really encourage you to read the article that she wrote here on Dobbs and how it doesn't go far enough. And there's also a discussion about equal protection in here as well. And if possible, fund them, send them a check. They deserve it. Uh, They keep us out of trouble and help us with some of the legal issues that we often encounter as we go out onto the public streets and the sidewalks and the college campuses across America. So thank you, Alex, for being on the program.
1: Thanks so much, Mark. And just thank you for just being a just a stalwart against, uh, against the culture of death. Thank you.
0: I appreciate it. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America and remember America to bless God.